This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the official Star Trek graphic novel collection. Get your first volume, Countdown, for only $4.95 when you sign up today at eaglemoss.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 224, Rascals. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages and morals and such, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up. This week, Rascals. The one where the members of the most unlikely away team ever assembled become kids again. Literally. Also, Ferengi take over the Enterprise. For about ten minutes. Scanning sensors, I see trivia ahead, but first... But first, a word from Eagle Moss. Uh, Ken, I think Yay. you might recall. Yeah, I think you might recall, and some of our listeners might recall, the uh, teeny tiny spaceships. Never heard of them. Yeah, I know. Well, you should look into it. They make a great <laughs> line of teeny should. tiny spaceships. But um, we're here to tell you about something new from Eagle Moss, which is... Uh, Amazing! I, I did not expect this. I did not expect how cool it is, but it's the official Star Trek graphic novel collection, um, just like all of their products officially authorized by CBS. And I, I don't know how familiar you are with the Star Trek comic book line, but I still I have in my collection some of the gold key comics from the 60s. And then some of the Marvel stuff from the late 70s. And, you know, they just kept going in various iterations. And this is the first place ever that has assembled all 50 years of Star Trek comics into a single collection. Yeah. Um, To answer your question, by the way, I had, I think, the first 12 uh, from the DC comics in, like, the 80s. Oh, okay, yeah. So, sort of familiar, not terribly familiar, but I will tell you... um, I know I should be looking at the notes for the ad, but I'm actually looking at the thing that they sent us. Uh, we got uh, Harlan Ellison's uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Now, yes. let me just say, first of all, I have looked all over the place for this. Mm-hmm. There's a comic book shop near me where I am right now, actually. And I went in there and they hadn't even heard about it, first of all, and mm-hmm. then showed no interest in helping me find it. Um, so I always imagined it would be kind of cool. And now that uh, I've got this in my hand, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. It's actually very cool. I mean, it's weird to see the different uh, the difference between uh, the story that he wrote and what actually hit the screen and sitting on the edge of forever. The artwork is absolutely beautiful, and then in true um, Eagle Mouse fashion, you remember how much I like the magazines that came with each of the ships. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So in the back of this hardbound edition of uh, Harlan Ellison's Sitting on the Edge of Forever, the original teleplay. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff about, you know, the artists and reference photos and things that they did to um, to make it look as good as it possibly could. Yeah, it, it's a, a whole behind-the-scenes treatment on the graphic novel, which is awesome. So then multiply that times all the other books that you're going to be getting, uh, assuming you stay subscribed. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's what's weird is I knew about the level of care and detail and extra stuff that they brought to the ships – so I shouldn't be surprised that they're bringing the same thing to the graphic novels, and yet uh, I, I will I will go ahead and 
have the audacity to be surprised. <laughs> so each volume collects multiple issues from a specific story arc and era in Star Trek history. And then it includes a, a reprint, a bonus reprint of a classic adventure from the comic archives. And I love that they're, you know, because it's everything, because it's 50 years worth of content, there are stories that have been out of print for a long, long time, stuff that you just couldn't find anymore. So imagine this, Ken, at some point, just a bookshelf full of these hardbound volumes that encapsulate the history of Star Trek in comic books. It's a pretty amazing collection that they've put together. And it's also great for people who think, well, I know all of the Star Trek stories because I've seen every episode of every version of Star Trek and the movies. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know about the novels, but then there are also the graphic novels as well, which brings something uh, yeah, something a little different. You mentioned uh, Gold Key. You mentioned Marvel. I mentioned DC. Mm-hmm. Um, all the publishers are actually here. Uh, so Gold Key, yes, Marvel, DC, Malibu, mm-hmm. Paramount Comics, uh, Wildstorm, Tokyo Pop, and, of course, IDW, who are continuing. Uh, I mean, well... It's a continuing mission, isn't it? They're still putting out <laughs> right. comics today, I believe. Yeah. Well, and speaking of IDW, that's how you start. So you start your collection today with Volume 1 Countdown for only $4.95 with free shipping. And this is the story that is the prelude to the J.J. Abrams 2009 Star Trek movie. And in that, you'll uncover the circumstances that drove Nero and Spock to travel back to the 23rd century and... By doing so, ushering in the Kelvin universe. And there's also bonus content in there, including the very first gold key Star Trek comic from 1967. Nice way to kind of bookend those together. Subsequent editions ship twice monthly and are delivered directly to your door. And you may cancel your subscription at any time. For details on the entire collection, including, you know, just like with the uh, tiny little starships, the longer you stay subscribed, it's not just that you get more comics. You also get more, you know, exclusive gifts that go along with that. Uh, and, of course, to place your order, the place to go is eaglemoss.com slash mission log. As always, that slash mission log is important because that lets them know that you heard about them through us. And then everybody goes home happy. Uh, eaglemoss.com slash mission log. And that's E-A-G-L-E-M-O-S-S. Eaglemoss.com slash mission log. And we certainly do thank the good people at Eagle Moss for uh, for sponsoring this week's show. Now, I, I just gave you, oh, we're doing the thing. We're yeah, doing the thing we're doing like, the thing. Like we did in the supplemental, <laughs> where I just gave you a web address, and now I'm going to give you a bunch more stuff. Yep. Uh, ways to get in touch with us should be the heading here. And then under that, you'd want to put Mission Log Pod, because that's the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we'd love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, I turn it over to the Trivia King, the Trivia Master, and his Trivial Pursuits, <laughs> Mr. John Champion. All right, today's episode, Rascals, the story is by Ward Botsford and Diana Drew Botsford and Michael Piller. 
So Ward Botsford was an acclaimed classical music and spoken word producer. He founded the Arabesque label, and he even worked with Shatner and Nimoy when they were voice actors on two of his projects, uh, Foundation, The Psychohistorians, and The Martian Chronicles, respectively. His daughter, Diana Drew, had a background as a TV producer, many of those credits in kids' TV. They pitched the story, and Michael Piller really championed it, even if some of his colleagues were not crazy about the premise. Maybe I'll touch on that again a little bit later. Um, Jerry Taylor was on his side, though, as well, so they bought it, and this is the only Star Trek credit for the Botsfords. Now, the script is by Allison Hawk. This is Allison's only Star Trek credit, but she worked consistently in TV as a writer throughout the 80s and 90s. And Jill Donner, she was a TV producer and writer on shows like Voyagers, Baywatch, and The Incredible Hulk. And she actually did an uncredited rewrite on this one, her only TNG episode, though she does come back for one Deep Space Nine episode. And honestly, many others on the writing staff gave this one a crack. And Ronald D. Moore, also uncredited, uh, took the final pass on this one before it landed in production. Now, it was directed by Adam Nimoy, and Adam really needs no introduction. He is, of course, the son of Leonard Nimoy, and it was originally requested by Leonard that Adam direct him in Unification. Now, that didn't work out, but Adam was called in to direct this episode, and this actually marks his professional debut as a director. Now, of course, Adam would continue to direct many more TV and film projects for The Love of Spock, Leonard Nimoy's Boston, and the upcoming Deep Space Nine, What We Left Behind, to name a handful that are of particular interest to our listeners. And he will be back to direct one more episode of Next Gen. Shuttlecraft Fermi. Well, I didn't mention it last week because we just got a glimpse of it in the shuttle bay, but the Fermi plays a bigger role this week. It is named after Enrico Fermi, the physicist who created the world's first nuclear reactor, Chicago Pile 1, at the University of Chicago. And a shout-out to an old friend, the Tarkasian Razor Beast. We first learned about Guinan's friend in Imaginary Friend. And guest stars. Of course, we're welcoming back Michelle Forbes as Roe, Brian Bonsall as Alexander, and Rosalind Chow as Keiko. But we also get to meet a handful of new Ferengi along the way. Let's point out a couple of them. There's David Gomez as Damon Luren. We actually already saw him as a different Ferengi, Daimon Tarr, in The Last Outpost. He is joined by Morta, played by Michael Snyder. And yes, he also played a different Ferengi before. He was Call. Call. Paul, in The Perfect Mate. Just want to make sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Sure. You may also remember that he had a small role in Star Trek IV, and he was Dax in Star Trek VI. Of course, you remember him. He's the guy who the boots didn't fit, so you must have quit. And one other Ferengi, Barrick, played by very recognizable character actor Tracy Walter. Now, we saw him once before as well as a Ferengi. He was Kron in The Last Outpost. And I think for me, probably the most memorable role of his is um, the, the critical character of Bob from Batman. Bob. Bob yeah. the Goon, specifically. <laughs> but he was Bob. And if you don't remember Bob, Bob was the Joker's number one. Yeah. And the Joker is not going to let him forget that. Yeah, <laughs> no, he was the number one guy. Right. Yeah, yeah. The weird thing is, so I remember this guy from a show that, you know, almost nobody remembers, I'm certain, mm. including the people who were in it. And there was a show called Best of the West. Mm. And what's weird is, Get Me Drunk. Yeah. 
And and I could actually sing the theme song, The Best of the West, even though I think it lasted one season. I remember almost nothing about it except he played some guy named Frog. I remember he was the bad guy. Wow. But yeah. Bob's like, not Bob, I'm sorry, Tracy. <laughs> Tracy Walter is like one of those guys. I think he, that's he what is. you refer to them as, right? He's yeah. like, oh, he's that guy that you saw in that thing that time. Mm-hmm. You would so know him without the Ferengi makeup. You'd be like, oh yeah, he was, uh, right. well, he was Bob. Yeah. And, uh, and then he was in some other stuff. We also have a bunch of new kids on board. We have Hannah Hatai as Molly. This is her only TNG appearance, but she will be back for Deep Space Nine. Caroline Junko King plays young Keiko. Only a handful of acting credits to her name, but she went on to direct several episodes of the animated series Doraemon. We have Megan Parlin playing young Ro. She worked consistently as an actor in the 90s, even starring in the show Hang Time for six years. She then switched over to production, and she has been a writer and producer on some great science documentary series, including one that I really liked, Through the Wormhole, hosted by Morgan Freeman. Isis Jones plays young Guinan, and appropriately, she played young Dolores, that would be Whoopi Goldberg's character, in the movie Sister Act just a few months before this episode came out. And finally, David Birkin plays young Picard. We saw him before in Family, in which he played Rene Picard. And I mentioned at the time that he is the son of actor-singer Jane Birkin. Son of Spock directs Kid Picard. Bam! There is your recap. Prologue. Captain Picard is returning from her trip to Marlonia with Ensign Rowe, Guinan, and Keiko O'Brien, you know, like they always do. Worf hails their shuttle from the Enterprise about a distress call they just got from Federation scientists on LIGO-7, so they'll have to step on it to get back. Just then, a weird energy flux surrounds the shuttle, threatening to destroy it. Riker has no choice but to order Chief O'Brien to beam them out of there immediately, but when he does, the mass he beams up is 40% less than expected. What appears on the transporter pad of the Enterprise are the four people from the shuttle but shorter, and younger, and in Picard's case, with more hair. Each person now appears, to their shock, and O'Brien's, as a child. Act 1. First, the good news. For all four, their minds are intact, right where they left off. The bad news, they all have the bodies of their 12-year-old selves. Not letting something like that get in his way, Picard just starts being Picard, giving orders, heading to the bridge. The other three stay in sickbay for Dr. Crusher to run tests. Guinan is adjusting okay, but Rose seems a bit at odds with childhood. Hers was not a happy one. On the bridge, the small Picard is giving orders to leave a probe behind and making sure they've beamed aboard the remains of the shuttlecraft. The bridge crew are very unsure how to take him. He's Picard, but he doesn't look like Picard even if he assures them he is. Dr. Crusher steps in for a chat, in private. She explains to him that he may still be himself, but he's gone through an extreme change. There may yet be repercussions they just don't understand. Sensibly, Picard hands over command to Riker. Checking in with Guinan and Roe, about the same. Roe is really bothered that she can't work, and Guinan is really bothered that Roe doesn't want to take advantage of being a kid again and just playing, enjoying having no responsibility. Things are a little different with Keiko. Remember, she's married and has a baby? Miles, understandably, is having a bit of trouble adapting to the change in his wife. What does this mean for their marriage if she's trapped in the body of a child? 
And speaking of child, Molly cries from the next room that she wants her mother to read her a story. But even she doesn't recognize her own mother. Act 2, the Enterprise is heading to LIGO-7 to help those Federation scientists, but Picard is still concerned about his current state. Deanna Troy reminds him that he still is Picard, but maybe he could take advantage of this newfound youth, study more, take up new subjects. Then one day when he grows up again, maybe he'll take command of a ship. But he doesn't want to leave the Enterprise. Beverly is making some headway on what happened to those four from the shuttle, She's been able to identify a difference in some of the genetic features from Picard now versus a sample taken before the shuttlecraft accident. That same genetic variation appears in the plants Keiko had brought back from their trip, making them regress into seedlings. Good news, the four people who were affected will grow up normally. The bad news, growing up will take a long time. But maybe there's a way to let the transporter add the missing RVN sequences back to them. They could grow up in the course of beaming out and back in. Or, here's the really bad news, they could make it worse and end up being back even younger. In her quarters, Ensign Rowe is still not coming to terms with the radical change in her body. She's sulking. Meanwhile, miniature Guinan is trying to cheer her up, and that leads to a raucous bout of jumping on the bed. Chief O'Brien and Geordi have taken samples from the shuttlecraft, The hull itself had undergone a radical change, ending up as a fragile, crumbling material. Geordi figures it was a molecular reversion field, which is a fancy way of saying it's the thing that turned those four crew members into children and ruined the shuttle. The distortion from that field cut out some of those genetic RVN markers that should have come along for the ride, thus the transporter reconstructed them much younger. What this is all leading up to, they may very well be able to reverse the effects through the transporter. Before we can look at this breakthrough much more, Worf alerts Riker that they've arrived at LIGO-7. No science team, but weird distortion... Oh, crap, it's a couple of Klingon ships decloaking and opening fire. Act 3. The Enterprise is catching hell. The few shots it can make are no match for the pounding it's taking from the birds of prey. Auxiliary power, shields, life support, all are either gone or nearly gone. To make it worse, boarding parties have beamed in. Boarding parties of what, you may ask? Well, little Picard is intercepted at a turbo lift by a Ferengi. Just then, a few more Ferengi beam into the bridge and win in a firefight with the Enterprise crew. With the ship secured, although without command functions at Riker locked out, one of the Ferengi, Morta, gives the order to beam all able-bodied adults to the planet's surface. Their leader, Damon Luren, arrives. He speaks to acting Captain Riker to inform him that the Enterprise is now claimed for salvage under Ferengi's salvage rights, and the crew will assist in salvage operations, or they will be executed. Act 4. The Ferengi who captured Picard drops him off at school, where they are sequestering all the other children on board. In there, he teams up again with Keiko, Guinan, and Roe, where they try to come up with a plan— Guinan volunteers that in her present form, they may have some advantage being able to pass as children. In the ready room, Damon Luren lays out for Riker what's going on. They aren't from the Ferengi Alliance, but rather a rogue group who intend to profit from the capture of the Enterprise. Plus, they're mining Venderite on the planet by using the missing science team and now the Enterprise crew as slave labor. All Riker needs to do is unlock the command computer, and if he doesn't, well... Some of those miners will meet an untimely end. Picard is doing what he can. The classroom computer isn't quite as functional as he'd like, but he eventually brings up a schematic of the ship, 
There's a vent from the classroom which leads to a Jeffrey's tube. The four-kid crew make their way along with Alexander's toy, a remote-controlled space car. The toy comes in quite handy. It's enough of a distraction to lead a Ferengi out of the transporter room, giving enough time to Keiko and Picard to grab a couple of phasers. Even Alexander is put to use, distracting another one of the invaders who he could steal a hypo. Now it's up to Picard to get himself to the bridge, and being a kid again, he throws a tantrum until the Ferengi guard caves in to let the boy see his father, Riker. Act 5. When Riker and Picard reunite, it's all father this and son that. It's a good show for the Ferengi, but what Picard is asking in a bit of a coded way is if Riker can turn computer control over to the system in the schoolroom. Riker gets the hint, and here ensues a bit of technobabble that is designed to go right over everyone's heads. Riker has to make it look like he's handing control over to the Ferengi, but that's nonsense. To cover up while he's transferring control, he explains to his dumbfounded captor that the redundant Melacourt's Ramistat and 14 kiloquad interface modules are all part of the Rockwell retroencabulator that not only provides inverse reactive current for use in unilateral phase detractors, but would also be capable of automatically synchronizing in cardinal gram meters. Got it? Good. Well, it's plenty confusing to the Ferengi that he doesn't notice Riker rerouting computer control to the class. Easily enough, Picard is able to access the transporter system and start beaming away their captors into a transporter room protected by force field. When Picard makes his way to the bridge with a phaser, Riker is given the perfect opportunity to knock out Morta. And finally, with all the rest rounded up, Picard is able to take control of his ready room again, kicking out Damon Lurin. So, all's well that ends well. The Ferengi are captured, the Enterprise crew are returned to the ship, the mine is shut down. The end. Oh, and uh, the transporter totally turns those kids into adults again. Except Ro. She wants to stay a child for just a little longer. The end. I'm impressed with your techno babble. Well, thank you. Thank yeah, you. that was good. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. good. Because we write it. these, I mean, like the week that you do yours, you write mm-hmm. yours. The week that I do mine, I write mine. Yep. I don't know if I would have thought to do that. I don't know if I would have been able to pull it off. So way to go. (laughs) I appreciate it. Hey, uh, question. Mm -hmm. How many shuttles does the Enterprise have? Oh, um, I'm going to say, you know, if you uh, remember from like the D&D days, you know, you have the the thing of like infinite wishing or infinite this. I'm going to say the Enterprise (laughs) of infinite shuttles. Ah, okay. Or you can go Lord of the Rings and say... It has exactly as many shuttles as it needs. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, because we're down two over the past, I think, four weeks or uh-huh. five, maybe, because we gave yeah. one to Scotty during Relics. Oh, right. and then we lost one during Rascals. So yeah. apparently one word titles that start with R are, are like the, the bane <laughs> of the shuttlecraft's existence. Yeah. 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 Whichever shuttlecraft is featured in that one. Yeah. It's not coming back. I did have another question, by the way. Well, yeah, well, let me back up. I, I guess... The Goddard actually didn't get destroyed, so they could just, like, radio Scotty. Yeah, right. It, it should have a self-drive. Like, oh, yeah, they could just push a button, but then mm-hmm. the problem is they could just be kidnapping Scotty. Or, <laughs> le- or abandoning him someplace, for that matter. Yeah. Right. They did say, consider it a long-term loan. Yeah. Do, do you think four weeks is long-term? I, that sounds century? long enough. Yeah. yeah that's, like, that's Scotty... How yeah. long was it going to take him to get wherever he was going? He didn't even Maybe know, so really he should need no time. 
Um, I had a question for you from a production standpoint. I didn't know if you would yes. mention this in trivia or not. Is 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 it my imagination, or I think ADR is the thing where you have to go in and re-record words, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Looping, in other looping. words. Looping. Okay. Yep. Is it my imagination, or was there just like a ton of looping in this episode? There's a lot. And in fact, um, Isis Jones, who played mm-hmm. Little Guinan, she's dubbed for the whole thing, because the yes. voice wasn't as good a match for Whoopi. So, okay, so, yeah. so it's not like, it wasn't like they had a problem with her mic'd on set, so they took her back in later. That's like somebody else doing the voice entirely? Yes. Yeah, they okay. decided to dub her. Yeah. All right. Yep. So, and, and you may have noticed others, but when you, when you notice it, you kind of can't unnotice it. Right. <laughs> so. Well, I can't imagine that you could ever not notice it in this episode. Not mm-hmm. to be. I mean, I, and I don't, you know... I don't know. I've never had to do that, so I don't know how yeah. easy it is or difficult, and I don't know who was new on the crew and who wasn't and what else was going on. But, yeah, I mean, the fact that I was able to ask you, is there a lot of looping in this episode? <laughs> right. Indicates that maybe it could have gone a tiny bit better, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not an easy thing to do, um, but they and they had a lot of it to do here. So uh, about that trip at the beginning, it, it was kind of shore leave. <laughs> it was kind of educational. Picard calls it a visit. I, I don't know if that has an official designation in Starfleet. And I wonder how that played out. Um, <laughs> Picard hates vacations anyway, and he doesn't right. get to go on away missions. So was he just anxious? Is kind of like pacing around the bridge, around his ready room, and somebody else said, "Like, oh yeah, the, the, here's this really important thing for you to do. Uh, you have to go on this really special mission, and you'll be there with Guinan and Ensign Rowe and Keiko." And he says, "Who?" And they, you know, Keiko, you've yeah. she's around. She's yeah. she's got a baby. You know, It'll yeah, just so be he, like all the other away missions. Here's what happened: He came back and brought the pe- uh, pieces of the uh, you know the ceramics. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, yeah, no, you did bring pots. <laughs> Wasn't yeah. quite what I had asked for, but good. Thank you. I, pre- <laughs> uh, uh-huh. I guess I should have maybe explained it a tiny bit more. There was another question that I had about the, uh, about the, uh, about the, the four of them and the shuttlecraft. Mm-hmm. And every time I watched it, this episode yep. this week, I kept watching for why this was a thing. So, like, uh, Roe was able to practically identify one of the plants that Keiko has. Mm-hmm. And Keiko's like, oh, I didn't know you knew anything about plants. And Rose like, I took a class at the academy. I don't remember yeah. much. <laughs> I thought there was going to be like a, some kind of flashback or something. There was going to be a thing. I mean, that that was an amazing delivery of a completely throwaway line. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. It, it was serious. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Did something happen that in that good. class? What yeah, is maybe. That? Or, or just everything is traumatic and serious to Roe. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Unless that she loses her it. memory, and then she's just, man, she's a lot of fun then. Mm-hmm. Hey, I have a question for everybody in this episode. Did anybody see the counterclock incident? Mm, I'm bad with titles. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, the yes, animated I, series right, and yes. members of the crew, they, they all right. turn young. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Oh, oh yes, I remember mm-hmm. that one. Yes. Yeah. And apparently Seems so like... do the writers of a uh... Yeah. Right. I'm actually wondering why we're not doing so look, there may one day be a movie. Mhm. It's about people wanting to stay young or something. Mhm. And what I'm trying to figure out is how is this like how is this accident not something that becomes patented? Oh, I know. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. they figure out how to reverse it. And if they can figure out how to reverse it, then they got to figure they can figure out how to 
can they reverse engineer the reverse engineering? I mean, they can, mm. they should be able to make somebody young again. Yeah, they, I'm thinking we may actually have solved our admiral problem. Right, we may have. Yeah, just yeah. make them kids again, and they can be like, yeah. "Oh man, all those mistakes that I've been taking out on other people under me in Starfleet, I can, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can, mm-hmm. I can forget those now, and I can go, I can color, I can jump on the bed, all <laughs> sorts of things I could do now." And their minds are okay, which is yes. weird uh, because y- y- I presume you would be rewriting the neural pathways when you're actually changing the physical body. But whatever, whatever. Um, yeah. But but by the way, going back to the, the science-y-ness or lack thereof, uh, mm-hmm. Naren Shankar hated the whole RVN thing. We haven't really talked about uh, Naren, but he, sh- he started as an intern in the writer's room in season four, and he became the science consultant for the show. And he was asked to come up with something that sounded plausible, uh, to make it like DNA. And he mm-hmm. absolutely hated it. The, there were other ideas that they floated earlier of how they would justify the crew members becoming young and then being able to reverse that, make them old again. And he just was having none of it. Uh, so he, he kind of hides his head about this one and the whole RVN thing. He, he said he used one of my favorite terms. He, he says there's a lot of hand-waving here to just make yeah. it. To make it so, you know. Um, but by the way, somebody who's growing up super fast, Molly O'Brien, she's she might be part Klingon because I think she's growing up at about the same rate as Alexander. Okay, yeah, yeah. no, you're not you're not wrong. I don't remember when they got married or how old she should be, but yeah, it was surprising to see her be you know as old as she is right now. Yeah, because remember she was a baby in Power Play, and that was not that long ago. Power Play when. Uh, you had the the bodies of some of our crew uh, sort of hosting the guys who were trying to take over the ship. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And wow, there was that's amazing. Keiko. Yeah. Not, not only do I not remember that title, I don't remember that episode. Oh, <laughs> well, Keiko and Molly. <laughs> Molly was a baby, and they're in 10 forward because, you know, that's where a mother oh, and her right, baby right, would right. be. Okay, yeah. yes. And Miles yeah. was like, hey, I know you. I gave you that. Yeah, yes, okay. right. I yeah. remember that. Okay, yeah. yeah. Wow. Thank you for talking me back to that because that was actually going to vex me. Um, I think Keiko and Miles need to work on Molly's manners. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was kind of <laughs> terrible because that's, yeah. that's no way to treat a guest. And even no, if she doesn't recognize her mom as her mom. Right. I, I, although I guess she is, well, one or five. <laughs> <laughs> well, something like that. Yeah. yeah I would mm. think as old as that kid was in the bed, you would, you would say, you know, honey, be nice to right. your mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Wesley Crusher's roommate. I would pay to see that episode for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I would love to see that. Um and man, holy hell is Worf awful at security in this episode. The whole invasion of the Enterprise is, is I mean, it's pretty much terrible. Um, there are, ca- well, if I skip ahead a little, there are casualties, but it all seems kind of like business as usual. And Worf can't connect the shot. He just, he's standing across the room. Yeah. Yeah. He even has time to draw. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even like a quick draw thing. He's like pointing. And they say, put your weapons down, and he decides, you know, having taken a long time to line up his shot, right? I'm going to go ahead and shoot anyway, and then just completely misses. I, can't, I mean, yeah. I can't believe, like, the one time he finally just gets to, like, pull his phaser and fire. <laughs> Maybe this is why Picard keeps telling him no. 
No, because you're just going to make marks in the wall every you're time you hit do somebody that else, you, dude. Seriously, <laughs> I still have no hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. There was another question I had about the uh, on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Remember during Data's uh, poetry reading, there was the mm-hmm. woman, one of the women with the very tall hair. Oh yes, uh, sitting yeah. next to Picard and like giving the captain the look, like boy, huh? This, and yeah. I was like, I was really horrified that she was being so casual with the captain. Yeah, is that is that her? It absolutely is. It absolutely okay. mean uh, Lieutenant Junior J, played by Tracy Lee Coco. Seriously? Yes. Okay. Because she's been in like fifty episodes. Or, <laughs> yeah. Uh, seriously, she she's been not. in a lot. Yeah, she's really? been in a lot of episodes. She has. Why is she just turning up in our heads now? Is it because she finally is, is it the high hair? Do you think that's I, why? Well, I think it's partly that. I think it's the achievement in eighties hair, and I think it's also the close proximity to the captain. Because yeah. in that episode, and in uh, in in the opening with Data reading his poetry, it, it just it felt like again that was a character that needed to mean something in that scene, and then yeah. she didn't. Yeah. So that that kind of <laughs> stood out, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so now there she is. Yeah, Lieutenant yeah. Junior yeah. J. Junior J? Yeah, Lieutenant Junior J. Oh, okay. So yes. not, not Lieutenant Junior J. No, 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 no. <laughs> she, she is Lieutenant okay. J, but she's Lieutenant Junior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's a question for you. Uh, so the Ferengi has secured the bridge and several decks. There's like eight of them. <laughs> You know, you're right. Yeah, no, Lieutenant Junior just sounds like Jun- a Gomer Pyle spinoff. J- J- Lieutenant Junior J. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry about man. that. Yeah, no, it's okay. You were saying? Okay. I was saying uh, the Fringe had secured the bridge and several decks, but nowhere near all decks. What are all those people doing on those decks? Uh, lining up to be beamed down, I guess. I guess so. I got a message from the lower deck. We're supposed to be down there to be beamed away. <laughs> okay, really? might as well go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I will say, though, there is some Ferengi wisdom in this show. It is cruel to put children in danger by putting them on a starship in the first place. I think mm. that, that Ferengi speaks a little truth, maybe. Maybe debatable. <laughs> well, he's been listening to you, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have some of the greatest nonsense dialogue since the rules of Fizzbin in this episode. I was glad to see that make a return. I, I like that moment with Riker. He plays it perfectly. And um, I, I had a, a question here, maybe a thought that young Picard walks into the bridge with a phaser, but he doesn't use it. Mm-hmm. He, he He's holding it like he's ready to use it. And then Riker knocks out the Ferengi with his hands. And I wondered if that was some kind of concession to not having kids doing something violent. Because it happens again when he goes into the ready room and you have the last, you have Damon Lurin there, and that's the last one to be dealt with. And again, Picard's got the phaser, but he doesn't use it. And I, hmm. I just wonder if that was something that, looking at the script, they went, you know, we can't have a 12-year-old, even if he's 15 in real life, we can't have a 12-year-old going around shooting adults with a phaser. That's possible. It's also possible, though, that, I mean, he is still Picard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't think it's, with the exception of Conspiracy, you know, the one with the worm people who took over everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all right. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the exception of Conspiracy, I don't remember how many times Picard has actually drawn his phaser and shot someone. Mm, I mean, yeah. he he's still Picard. He's still going to look for a way to let the other guy live or not hurt the other guy. Yeah. I would think. Yeah. 
And, oh, you know, I should have mentioned this when you were talking about the uh, instant rejuvenation machine. I thought with, with those RVN sequences, what happens if you just knock off a few? Just a mm. few RVNs. So Picard's like, yeah, I'm ready to go back, but you know what? Let, let's make me 32 this time. Mm. And you just, just keep doing it. Just keep stepping back in the transporter. And Guinan could have been the sprightly 100-year-old we met 500 years ago in San Francisco. Faster than light travel. Teleportation. An end to hunger and poverty on Earth. But, baldness, is still a thing in the 24th century. Really? I mean, really. So we got kids in this episode. Mm. Mm-hmm. There were there were there were two things that I thought were were horribly lacking uh, for an episode that features a number of children. Okay. No catchphrase. Like, there's no bonk bonk on the head in this episode. Oh yeah, yeah, it which makes me that. sad. Right. And uh, and and uh, no lawyer with a shower curtain. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> because these children are leading. Yeah. Yes. They are. They these really are children. Are. Who would lead? They, in fact, are children who do lead. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, uh, man. Also no rhyming chant. No. And, and no weird, like, borderline obscene hand gesture. Right. <laughs> and I'm doing, uh, and the children shall lead. For right. people who don't know, by the way, that's, There's that's so what much we're talking they, about here. So much they could have learned from the Gorgon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so much we could all learn from the Gorgon, John. Mm-hmm. I'm, still, I'm still fairly convinced. Right. I'm on my third draft of that book, by the way. Oh, good, good. Yeah, yeah and that's not why true. I expect to see yeah. it soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd yeah. say uh, STLV twenty twenty seven. Got it. <laughs> Maybe cool. by the time we're done with mission log, I'll be finished with the power of positive thinking for negative results. Great, great. <laughs> Look for it in what passes for a bookstore in twenty thirty. Mm-hmm. So the interesting premise here, uh, summed up by Guinan, by Little Guinan, mm-hmm. uh, to have a second childhood. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, what, do you, what do you call them? You know, small Guinan, little Guinan, little Picard. I, yeah. yeah. No, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Kid, Gotta give I'd, him I'd probably go with kid. Like kid sure. Guinan, kid Picard, kid okay. Roe. Kid, oh, kid Roe. She'd be saying, my name is kid. <laughs> right. I would like to see that show and as well. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so uh, kid Guinan says to have a second childhood without the pain of growing up. That, that that's kind of the wish fulfillment explored in this episode, which is really interesting. It's a really intriguing idea, but there is such a dark side to that that is throughout this episode. Can I tell you what's yeah. funny after we just did the whole kid, whatever, everything thing? Mm-hmm. It was Troy that said that. It was. Was, Oh my gosh. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It It, it sounds like a, it kind of sounds like like a Guinan Guinan thing. thing. Well, except that Guinan sees, Guinan sees no pain. I mean, the only time you actually get real anger from Guinan is with a Q or with a Borg. Otherwise, nothing bad ever seems to have happened to Guinan ever. You bring up those two things. and, And it's very strange because you watch the current tellings of Doctor Who and definitely one of the biggest hardships in his life is the fact that his planet's destroyed. Uh, and it sounds like he actually, you know, had a hand in destroying it. Um, but that's like a huge thing for him, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And yet Guinan, she's mostly fine, even though her planet also got destroyed. And her people are all like, you know, scattered to the four winds, except it's space. So there, there are probably like nine winds. They could be, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's no direction. <laughs> right. 
or no up and down anyway um yeah anyway i apologize for yeah it was no it was i'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. that yeah because well obviously kid guinan spends so much time with kid Rowe trying to talk to her about the the benefits of being a child um right. but that was a nice scene between dana troy and young picard um and and that is sort of the the silver lining around that cloud. But then, you know, the dark part of this is that at the very least for Picard and Roe, I feel like they aren't comfortable being kids. I mean, very clearly they aren't comfortable being kids. Now, yes, literally they are kids here, but figuratively they're happiest and literally they're happiest when they're in uniform and at work. There doesn't seem to even be the possibility that they cannot be their work selves. Uh, Riker mm. said it before. We've talked about it. He said that his work is his life. And something about this is getting more and more tragic as we go along, that they can't even grasp the idea that there would be a part of them that doesn't have to work, that that isn't locked into that mode 24 hours a day. Um, now, what's weird to me is that even with their minds intact, they, for some reason, decide ultimately to do things that children do. Now, I get it. There's a kind of freedom that comes with the territory. But let me ask you this. If you had the mind that you have right this moment and you mm-hmm. were suddenly in a 12-year-old body, would you want to jump on a bed and color? Uh, jump on a bed? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Color? I can tell you where I have a 12-pack of, of, uh, of colored pencils right now. All right, but see, so I, that, I may that, be the wrong person to ask. Well, but see, but that's something that you do as an adult. And I, and I get it that adults color and adults express themselves with art. And that's yeah. great. But it, it's like these people don't have any of that at all right. until they realize, oh, well, I'm a kid. Kids are allowed to do this. Therefore, now I can do this. And I say, no, no, no. If you're an adult, if you're the captain of the Enterprise – then it is your right to jump on your bed if you want to. It is also your right to color if you want to. Right. Mm-hmm. There's actually, it's interesting because Picard is much more little kid on the shuttle ride. He's mm-hmm. very excited mm-hmm. about the pieces of pottery that he's showing everybody. I mean, yeah. there, there's almost a little kid like like wanting to show you and wanting to explain everything that's really cool about this in the way, you know, a kid or somebody who's overly excited about something <laughs> right. Uh, right. might. Um, when he becomes a kid, though, he actually goes to being all business. I mean, the thing is, I would only say that that is true of Picard. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of maybe take a different look at the way Roe is handling that. Mm-hmm. She mentions that she was in a, um, whatchamacallit, she was in a, 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 what did she say, refugee camp. Yeah. When she was a kid. So, so my, uh, my mother and stepfather divorced when my half-brother was, uh, I don't know, 10, mm-hmm. 11 maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and like when he went to high school, he went into ROTC. And then he went into um, some branch in the military. And I know it sounds terrible that I don't know, but I actually just don't want to explain the whole thing. Basically <laughs> army. But it, go, yeah. it gets like, you know. And, and, and I've always assumed that the reason that he does that is because at a at a, at a fairly pivotal moment in the kid's life, suddenly there wasn't nearly as much structure in the home as there had been. Right. And so he sought out something that had that kind of structure. Look at, um, you know, and also patriotism and serving his country. I mean, I'm not, I'm not just mm-hmm. saying it was just that, but I mean, I think yeah. that was a large part of it. You got to figure there's something in Roe that longs for that. 
my point is she's seeking i don't think she like i i know work and i only know work and work is all i want i think she's seeking sameness i think she's seeking structure i think mm-hmm. she's seeking um rules i think she's mm-hmm. seeking something that's going to be you know sort of the same and so then to be told, hey, by the way, you can't work anymore. Just just go have fun and go be a kid. You know, okay. You know, do you remember where your nightmares came from? Yeah, okay. Go do that. Okay. See you later. So right. I, I think it's I think it's a bit different for Picard. I, I, there's a lot there to wonder about. I think for her, I completely understand why it would why it would drive her crazy that she you know that people are saying, oh, just go have fun because you know, fun for her. I think she actually says the line, doesn't she? Fun for her is work. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. that's like gives her a, gives her comfort. Mm-hmm. You didn't tell me what you'd want to do if you were a 12-year-old, by the way. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to. It's okay. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I mean, because I, I pretty much, I feel like if I wanted to jump on a bed right now, then I would. Uh, yeah. If I wanted to color, then I would. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I have not set up a slip and slide anywhere, but mm. maybe I can make that happen. Yeah. You know, I heard recently about somebody who actually had a bounce house in their house for their kids. Oh. Yeah. Mm. You know, I'm thinking maybe jumping on the bed is for saps. Yeah. For suckers. Uh, that's yeah. a better idea. Yeah. Yeah. If you're 12, but you've got the wherewithal, put a bounce house in your house. <laughs> that's what I say. And if you are 12 and your parents have the wherewithal, Start talking to them now about a bounce house. Just <laughs> They'll thank me for bringing that up with you. Right. Um, so I'm curious about sort of going a little bit further into the whole, like the way they were all, I don't know, the way they're all acting thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So Guinan immediately wants to start acting like a kid, which does not surprise me at all because Guinan tends to be one who's like, hey, awesome. Adversity. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Roe doesn't want to be my friend. I'm going to go be Roe's friend. You know? Right. Um, it's interesting to me that Picard just can't stop thinking like an adult. Like he's trying to command the child's computer like an adult. Yeah, right. And, and, right. and once he actually starts using it as a child, he's able to accomplish like a whole lot of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, which is which is kind of interesting. It's, it's I guess it's a, if I can borrow a little bit from the next segment, I guess it's sort of a, I don't know, pitching yourself to the situation. You might actually be able to accomplish more. Um, as mm. opposed to just saying, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Not the way I want it to be. Well, fine. It still is that way. So, you know, are you going to be all, <sighs> what's the word I'm looking for? Grouchy about the mm. fact, grouchy because I couldn't use the word that I actually was thinking. <laughs> uh, you're going to be all grouchy about the fact that it's not the way you want it to be. Or are you going to go ahead and start, you know, working with what you got? Now that said, so here's something I haven't talked about on this show before. I'm actually now doing a security podcast, like a computer security podcast. Hmm. Um, I don't know anything about computer security. I'm the host. I'm mm-hmm. facilitating the conversations the other people are having. Mm-hmm. It's called The Checklist, if you want to look for it. And that wasn't meant to be a plug, but I don't want to like you know, just say, oh, I'm doing this, but I'm not going to sure, tell you what right. it is. So yeah, that's what it's called, and there we go. Um, somebody needs to do something about Schoolroom 8. Oh, because boy, oh boy, does it need kid proving in the worst way. I mean, partly because once Picard starts thinking like a kid, he's actually able to do very adult things on that computer, which makes me think it's not nearly as locked down as, you know, as they think. But the other thing is they have a Jeffrey's tube Mm. (laughs) that they can just access. Just right there. Yeah. Yeah. And and somebody who's between 10 and 12 years old. Uh, was just able to access it, right? <laughs> right. Now, now, granted, she's got the mind of like a 28 to 30-year-old. I don't know how mm-hmm. old Rose is supposed to be. 
Um, but my thinking is, like any kid, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> just crawl into Jeffrey's tomb and you'd find their bones like five years later. I, I feel like give Alexander a half an hour. He's probably already done it. <laughs> you know, it was amazing to me actually. They didn't come across a stash of stuff that Alexander had stolen and hidden and, and hidden in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, oh, yeah. what's and this I, terrible pottery in here? Oh, it's, yeah, it's Alexander. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe in all the future episodes when you're wondering, you know, Worf's here. Where's Alexander? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. He's in a Jeffrey's tube someplace because he's standing right there. He sees it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just saying. So, question: Why would a young Picard mm-hmm. have to give up his command and go back to the academy? So not only, think about this, think about what Picard has been through. Not only does he still have all the knowledge and experience of adult Picard, mm-hmm. he lived another life as Cayman. He was assimilated by the Borg. I mean, he has <laughs> gone through so much more than practically any other human in Starfleet. He's an amazing resource. Mm-hmm. Haven't any of these people seen Doogie Hauser? You know, he, he was a kid. But they let him practice medicine because he was great at his job. Mm-hmm. And, and remember, they let the android do all kinds of things on the ship, which probably would have been unheard of in Kirk's time. You know, yeah. they, they see an artificial intelligence coming and they're like, no, 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 blast it into space. But, <laughs> uh, but here you've got Picard. I, I just I think about Star Trek clearly has had this underlying message of um, Idic, clearly. And mm-hmm. this underlying idea that uh, your your rank is based on merit and what you have accomplished and, and what you can bring to the crew. Well, so Picard looks different now. And that's weird. It'll take some getting used to. But it's not. It just seems a little weird, like Deanna Troy saying, oh, you should just go back to the Academy and study for a while. Really? He's well, brilliant. He's still Picard. Yeah, he's still Picard, but I mean, he's going to be constant. I mean, what, his his concern there is not can I do this anymore, but will people take me seriously? Mm-hmm. And you know, the answer is no. I mean, well, it just but, is. But, I haven't seen Doogie Howser in a very long time. But remind <laughs> me, was it ever an issue that somebody said, "Hey, you can't be treating me. You're a kid." Oh, sure, every episode. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so here's what happens. Uh, Captain uh, Ferengi are decloaking off the starboard bow. Mm-hmm. On screen, and then they establish contact, and we may actually have the first like, actual attack by a Romulan ship. <laughs> Did I say Romulans or Ferengi? I can't you remember. You said Ferengi, which I think oh, is I didn't brilliant. I yeah, yeah, I think I, it's I brilliant because it's Ferengi. They just won't care. They'll, just, they'll be laughing, and they'll think, oh, it's some kid. And then meanwhile, you know, we, we've got them right where we want them. Yeah, but Romulans would would seriously blow them out of the sky. I mean, because it's a kid. I mean, look, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And and if we were talking about, see, that would actually be an interesting thing. Like if we came across a race of people who never seem to get to be above twelve, even though they're mm. like five hundred or something like that, or they're they're like uh, uh, almost baby like, and yet they serve cocktails. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought about that. Yeah, yeah. I thought about that. Balak would look at him and go, oh, you wizened individual, you yeah. elderly statesman. <laughs> what are you, like 17? Wow. <laughs> yeah. You amaze me. With almost everyone back to normal, it is time to see what we have been taught by Rascals.
Do you think they wanted to call it Little Rascals? Because <laughs> uh, that would have been that would have been fun. That would have been And then great. you know you change the music, mm-hmm. and then uh, Riker and Picard start the He-Man Woman Haters Club. <laughs> And it's like a whole, it's a weird, it's a very weird crossover. Oh, you think Green Lantern Star Trek is something. I'm yeah. here to tell you. Yeah. The Star Trek Little Rascals crossover. And yet, not unlike your version of the odd couple. Well, and there's no shortage. We're talking about. <laughs> right, right. But, and there's no shortage of puppies. So you can, you can have the uh, bull terrier oh, just like Petey. that on Little Rascals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Petey, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Petey. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're not talking about the made-up show. We're talking about, well, it, it is actually a made-up show, but not one that we're making up. Uh, yeah. Rascals. Uh, time now to take a look at the episode. Uh, well, actually, we've done that. But time now to say whether we think the messages, morals, and meanings, and all that stuff are there, and whether the episode holds up. Um, let's start with that question, if we could, please, Mr. Champion. Does Rascals hold up as far as you're concerned? Well, first and foremost, there's something to me that's inherently funny about hearing the words of adults coming from the mouths of children. <laughs> just things like depression and career and family and all that. Like there's something just really funny in that to me. So, you know, I, I was, wow. I was hooked right away. Um, but when you put that aside, mm-hmm. there's some real depth to the idea here. Even if it's just a big, what if scenario It's a huge, what if scenario It's a pretty profound what if scenario there's still some inherent truth in asking if we've spent our lives the way we want and if we can reconcile our childhood and our adulthood now i hate that this is a transporter fixes everything episode and Mm. i also hate how easy it is for the ferengi to take over that that's just sad you know um so at the end, it's not a great episode, but there are some really great moments. Overall, the performances by the kids, especially Birkin, are good, and there's actually some growth there for Roe. Um, the direction is absolutely fine, especially for a first-time effort. It's just not a great story. The The whole is not greater than the sum of the parts, unfortunately. Hmm. What did you think? Well... I'm actually okay with the transporter fixing everything because the transporter broke everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was basically a transporter malfunction. And yeah. so if you can fix the transporter, you should theoretically be able to fix whatever the transporter broke. Since it's, you know, pretty much magic anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, if this was like, I mean, like the the episode where, um, what's her name? Where Pulaski was getting so old. Oh, sure. Yeah. And they're able to fix that that way. I mean, that was practically going back to the animated series then, where every yeah. week the transporter was doing something. Yeah. Um, doing, uh, fixing something, rather, not just... Because the transporter does do something every week. <laughs> Most, <laughs> mostly transport people and things. Yes, but, um, yes. Yeah, so, so that part didn't really bother me that much. Um, kind of like you saying it's fun to see, you know, little children talk about death and bankruptcy and (laughs) things like that. Yeah. Um, it is fun to see characters that we know act in different ways. We've talked about that before. And in this case, it's kind of fun to see characters that we know acted in different ways as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the kid, uh, honestly, initially I thought the kid who played Guinan was a bit too, you know, something, although Mm -hmm. now I'm thinking it might just be the voiceover. It might be the constant voiceover because Mm -hmm. it didn't, Mm -hmm. there was something about her that didn't exactly feel natural and it could be, well, because they were putting somebody else's voice in her head. Yeah. Right. Um, but then I also thought, well, actually she's, she's kind of got Guinan down, right? She kind of nailed it. And so maybe it's just a discomfort that I have with Guinan 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We can look into it at some point. But, um, yeah, I mean, they all actually nailed their parts, I think, pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, Keiko was just as annoying as Keiko often is. I don't yep. think it's. I don't think it's to, in either of the actresses' fault. I think it's writers don't really know how to write Keiko exactly. At least not yet. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping they find a way to at some point. We will have to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wish this had been an examination of the changes our characters went through and their feelings. You know, I kind of wish it had been an examination of the way we treat kids. Going to your question of why would Picard have to give up his command? Mm-hmm. Um, might have been interesting to treat it as an examination of how do we treat somebody who is suddenly different from what they've known themselves to be before or what we know them or have known them to be before. All of those things might have been more interesting. At the same time, maybe I'm just becoming a bit of a softy, or maybe I just remember how much I loved this episode the first time I saw it, but I think this episode works. I think it holds up. Yeah. There are lots of ways it could be better, not from the production side, Mm-hmm. Although that was an awfully big remote control car for the 24th century, wasn't huge, it? Huge, huge. Like, it reminded yeah. me of like it was like it was almost like the actual car from Forbidden Planet. Right? Yes, I thought the same thing. It looked a lot like that—the one that Robbie, Robbie the robot drives. or Roby, yeah. not included. Yeah, whichever. Yeah. Not yeah. yeah, the robot not included, but you know the rest of it. Yeah, it looked exactly like that. It was <laughs> awfully big. But um, yeah, no, I thought I actually really thought. <sighs> I, maybe I can't separate myself from how much I like this episode the first time. I mean, like, like when I when I talk about T Earl Grey hot, mm-hmm. I never do Picard's voice. I do Kid Picard's voice. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know why. And he's my number one dad. Has always been one of my favorite lines from any Star Trek that I've seen to this point. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I I may this may be one of the mud episodes for me. This may be one of the episodes where I have to say, I, I can't tell you whether it's good or not, but I know I love it. All right. So, All there right. we are. Fair enough. And and it's not devoid of message. Uh, did you find any messages you want to bring up, sir? Or? Well, I, I thought kind of what I was touching on the last segment, this idea that there's still something kind of tragic about the idea that these adults have lost touch with a part of themselves that is some some connection to childhood. And I, I don't mean that literally Picard needs to jump on his bed, but again, Captain's prerogative, he can do it if he wants to. Um, I don't mean that Roe has to color, but adult Roe in an adult body Roe, if she gets some satisfaction from some artistic expression, she should do that. It, it, it shouldn't take saying to herself, well, I'm 12 now, what do 12-year-olds do? Either I have to do that or when I'm 30-year-old row, then I can't go back to doing the things that I enjoyed as a kid. I think adults should be able to enjoy the, the things that they did as kids. Um, there's no reason that this sort of hard delineation has to be made the way it seems to be for some of these characters. But with Rose specifically, you know, we talked about her childhood and, and she has a process to go through to get over that um, or at least reconcile that that was a bad childhood. Therefore, there are things that are good about childhood that she can still enjoy as an adult. So that that's what I kind of got out of the treatment of the characters was mm. um, hang on to that piece. Hang on to that piece of childhood that um, is just for you and gives you some lightness and some joy and some pleasure. Hmm. What about you? There was sort of a make the best of your situation kind of thing. I mean... 
maybe it's a little too easy for Guinan to be like, well, I'm going to go play. I'm going to jump on the bed. I'm going to skip down the hall. But again, that actually doesn't seem out of character for Guinan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I, I sort of saw that as maybe a bit of a message as well. You can sit and grouse about the things that you don't like or you can enjoy, you know, what is going on at the moment. Yeah. My only problem with that ever being a message is it comes awfully close to eh, just, you know, settle. Hey, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, things are things are bad. Well, things are bad. You right, know, I mean, right. but I, I, there's a fine line there. And I think until making the best of a situation that you're in, at least currently, might not be the worst thing. Um, just because things seem hopeless doesn't mean that they are hopeless. I mean, they're basically caught in a nursery with no functioning anything. But once they, you know, sort of pitch their thoughts differently, mm-hmm. instead of concentrating on the things they can't do, instead of concentrating on the access they don't have, when they start working with what they do have, um, mm. then they're able to find ways out of it. And this is one that's always bothered me forever. Uh, kids just shouldn't be discounted because, you know, they might be fully grown humans who have just been through some t- kind of a transporter accident. Yeah. See, I think that's that not the, the real reason, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not the real. I, I, I distinctly remember one time trying to get a, a, an older family member's attention, trying to get an older family member's attention. And they like, totally ignored me, totally ignored me. This was like when I was, I was 12, I think 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And then I said something that they didn't like. And all of a sudden, they, it turns out they were able to hear me. I wasn't invisible. Hmm. I just wasn't worth listening to when I was trying to say something to them. Wow. But when they heard something they didn't like, then it's like that. And we've all had that happen before, I feel certain. Um, but, yeah, the, the whole – I mean, in, in this case, uh, the, the Ferengi ignore the children to their detriment. Oh, yeah. Right? There's yeah. no point in paying attention to them because they're just kids. And, you know, those kids – I believe, and the children shall lead, actually taught us the same sort of thing. Pay attention to what's going on with the children, because, right. you know, right. sometimes it could come back and, and, and hurt you if you don't. But also, they have things that are worth hearing. They have conversations worth having. Yeah. Um, by the way, kids, I know I look old to you, and mostly because <laughs> I am. I might also be worth listening to just saying whatever. But, uh, yeah, maybe we could all just not do the... Uh, we could all not do the ageist thing. Yes. I, suppose. I think it's yeah. probably a, a wise lesson to be taken from this. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week... A fistful of datas. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Coming up next. It is another madcap adventure with Lieutenant Junior J. This week, Junior signs a wild boar up for the base talent show. It is going to be a hoot and a holler. Stay tuned. End transmission.